everybody. This is Stephanie Ruper. Thank you so much for tuning into the Naked Humanity podcast, where we try to figure out what it means to be human in the modern world. Today is episode number 47, and I have on Professor Ida Landau, who is a specialist, a philosopher, and a specialist in the meaning of life. So I just finished chatting with Ido, and today's episode is so lovely. Uh, we talk about really important things like the meaning of life, like death, like suffering, like value. Uh, and Ido is charming and intelligent and fantastic. So I'm so excited to share the interview with you. You know, the question of the meaning of life is very complicated and common, but also not, right? Because in one sense, we're all obsessed with it. And in another sense, I think we're so scared of meaninglessness that we run away from these questions. You know, we distract ourselves with movies and with Instagram feeds and all that sort of stuff, uh, precisely because these questions of meaning are so important, you know, and for that reason, yes, some of us do engage them actively all of the time. And uh, for the very same reason, many of us I'll run away from them. And so uh, something that Ido, I think, is really great at doing, and it's a unique perspective for him, is he says, look, there are two ways of experiencing or enhancing the meaning in your life. And one of them, yes, is questioning yourself and questioning your world and trying to figure out how you can do things differently or better. But the other way is by looking into yourself you know, he has a book recently released that is fantastic. It's philosophical, but easy enough <laughs> uh, reading uh, for people who aren't trained in philosophy. Uh, the book is called Finding Meaning in an Imperfect World. And the tagline is why our lives hold more meaning than we may think. And I think that that's something really beautiful to think about and really important. And we don't dig into it much in this podcast, but we live in a time where the question of the meaning of life uh, is very daunting because we we don't have easy answers and we are worried, right? We have seen religion collapse and we have seen many atrocities take place and we live in a sea of, of ambiguity and uncertainty and, and potential meaninglessness. And one thing we just might need to do is step back and say, whoa, 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 maybe, maybe we don't need to be questioning this so much and maybe our lives do hold so much value and purpose and, and meaning already. So um, I'm so excited to have uh, Professor Landau on. Um, he's a professor of philosophy at the University of Haifa. He has written extensively on the meaning of life as a professor of philosophy. And this book, Finding Meaning in an Imperfect World, has just come out with the Oxford University Press. It's very impressive. Um, and he is uh, a fantastic human to learn from. So I want to jump right to it. Of course, if you have any questions for Ido or for me about this podcast, or if you want to submit a question for me to respond to on the podcast, please do get in touch with me. You can send me an email at stephanie at nakedhumanity.org, or uh, you may, of course, get at me on social media platforms or contact me from my website. All very easy things to do. So please uh, communicate with us. We always, always, always want to help. Thank you so much for tuning in. Here is Professor Ido Landau. Welcome, Ido. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. I am 
really excited. I don't often talk with people who are experts in the question of the meaning of life, uh, but I think I think that's one of the. It's definitely been one of the most important for me, and definitely it motivates my work. Can to to get us started? Can you tell us a little bit about uh, this? How you got into studying this? Why you know? Um, why is it what you do? Well, uh, I think that in uh, one way or another, I've been interested in this question um, most of my life, as perhaps many people are. But uh, what uh, triggered it was um, something that happened in class. Um, 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 one of the students in the middle of uh, a completely unrelated uh, class, it was an intro to philosophy, I think we talked about causality, just burst and uh, asked why we're discussing all those questions, you know, necessity, non-necessity, because life has no meaning and, and, and nothing is valuable and, and it's not worthwhile talking about that. And everyone uh, became very silent and looked at me and uh, I felt very silly. I didn't know what to say. Mm. I even considered the, the cheap uh, administrative uh, uh, leeway of just telling her sternly that this is not the topic we're talking about now or something like that, but I'm very glad that I didn't fall into, into doing that. And um, um, she also seemed to be in real trouble. And I asked her whether she would agree that we talked about the issue she raised for some time now. And um, we'll do it in the way that we learned in this intro to philosophy um, to talk about philosophical issues. May I ask her some questions to clarify what she just said? Because, well, um, what we do before we start actually talking about certain issues is to clarify it. And ask her all sorts of questions. One, one question was whether she thinks that everyone's life is not meaningful or only hers. And she thought about it a bit, and she said that she thought um, that, no, not everyone's life is not meaningful, only hers is. And then I asked whether I may ask another question, and she said that I may, and I asked whether she thinks that her life is um, necessarily, necessarily uh, not meaningful, or only contingently so, only because of something that happened in her life. And again, she thought about, about it a bit, and she said, no, it's not necessary. It's because of all sorts of things that happened to me and could have uh, not happened if things were different. And then I asked whether I may ask another question, and she said, yes, yes, uh, but that will be the last one. And I asked whether she thinks that her life is uh, irretrievably meaningless, whether if some things might happen, then her life would be meaningful. And she thought about that a lot, and she said that she, she thinks that, no, it's, it's not hopeless. And that, that was very interesting for her, and uh, she wants to think about it more, but she doesn't want to ask more questions now, um, and she'll come to speak with me after class, which she did. And then one of the other students said that uh, he actually found her question much more interesting than many of the other questions. It, it certainly at least is an important question, and not many people in, in, uh, in the university talk about it. He thought that uh, Hamlet's uh, to be or not to be, I mean, to, 
to continue to live or, or commit suicide is a very important question. And then I said, you know, that also connects to some of the things that we did here in the Intro to Philosophy because we learned that whenever people give you um, two options, another thing that we should do, except of considering those options, is to ask ourselves whether there are no third or fourth or fifth option, for example, to be, to continue to be, uh, but not to continue to suffer the arrows of slings of fate, some excesses, but maybe to improve things. And, and then it came to me, then I understood that philosophy can help a lot of people to, to have a more meaningful life or can help them see the meaning their lives already have that it can be very important and very useful. Some, some things that have to do with the feeling that life is meaningless may be psychological, but many of them are philosophical, I thought. And then I started to teach, uh, to, to, in the next semester I taught a class on the meaning of life, and many people came, uh, also um, people who were not registered in the university came, many came to talk with me, and this is how it developed. And um, it was very interesting for me also personally. And I think that some people were helped with it quite a lot. By it, that that was a really lovely answer. I wasn't expecting such a nice story. That's that's fantastic. So then you sort of systematically started uh, reading philosophers on the meaning of life. You know, it's very funny, but in the academy today, like you mentioned briefly, no one's really no one even though philosophy may have originated and been very much about meaning, right? And all very concrete questions about like, what is a good life? How do you live a good life, right? Um, nowadays, that like almost doesn't happen at all. I was very surprised to find a book by a philosopher about the meaning of life published by an academic press. Like that's very rare these days. Right. I think it's uh, growing. In the, there are more people who are writing about it now. Um, um, some important people who did important work on this, uh, Arthur Deo Schmetz, um, um, and um, 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 David Benatar and others, uh, and there are many others too. But uh, yes, uh, I too am a bit surprised that it's uh, not a more central issue. It is growing though. I mean, there are more and more cl uh, classes and more and more academic articles yeah, uh, coming out uh, on this topic, and uh, academic presses uh, are uh, are publishing more and more books about it. Why? Um, sorry, why do you think that is? Um, well, um, the scarcity. I think that it may have to do with the fact that for some time, questions about meaning of life were discussed mostly by existentialists. And uh, certainly in the Anglophone world, uh, which was dominated for some time by analytic philosophy, um, well, the, the whole issue was rejected because it is one of those things that <laughs> existentialists do and, and we do not do. And what I'm very happy to see now is that many works on the meaning of life are now within the analytic tradition. And uh, they converse, uh, I think, very nicely with uh, existentialist thought and other types of thought. And uh, this cooperation, I think, should, should even grow. 
Wow. That's actually, that's interesting. And this is, I'm totally, totally veering from uh, the things that I want to talk about, but I just actually wrote a research proposal on uh, sort of bringing existentialism back into discourse on religious belief. Uh, Cause I think, wow. I think that's, yeah, I think that's really important because I, I'm in the study of religion and existentialism has been ignored for a very, very long time, you know, for 50 yeah, or 60 sure. years. Uh, but they had like, you know, that that's the stuff that people actually, you know, resonate with and care about in the modern world, especially, you know, you talk about the world being imperfect in your book. And um, we come from this long cultural history where God has died and all these crazy things. And so like mm -hmm. these these deeper questions are actually like your students indicated, you know, it's what people actually care about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, David Benatar called this emerging field analytic existentialism. So maybe, maybe yeah. it would uh, thrive. Yeah. I hope it would. I feel embarrassed that I didn't know that analytic existentialism exists. <laughs> um, um, but I, I'm I glad I do now. Very new. I mean, the, the term is is new, and there are very few references for that. That's interesting. But, I'm submitting the research proposal today, so maybe I'll drop a footnote in, like, P.S. Check out existential, you know, analytic existentialism to indicate that you know there is modern relevance. Anyway, this is very tangential. Um, so let's talk about meaning. What is what is meaning? Um, because actually, when you think about it, like it's important to all of us, but it's very hard to define. Yes, yes. I think that um, um, a meaningful life is a life that has to eat a sufficient number of aspects of sufficient value. The, the name of the game is value, I think. And uh, I think that if we look at examples of people who say or think that their lives are not meaningful, or those who say that their minds are meaningful, or people who look for ways of making their lives more meaningful, we see that the issue has to do with value. So uh, there is this uh, wonderful book, uh, uh, semi-autobiographical by Tolstoy, called A Confession. And there he tells how at a certain point in his life, he started feeling that his life was not meaningful. And he describes it that, uh, well, uh, he says, I said to myself, I'm the greatest uh, Russian author and one of the greatest um, in all of history. And then I said to myself, okay, so what? Uh, well, I have a family that loves me and they're healthy. And then I said to myself, what of it? So many things that earlier seemed to him to be of value, for some reason, ceased to seem to him to be of value. And this is why he felt that his life is not meaningful anymore. And I think that is true for uh, many other examples. Um, for example, uh, uh, Thomas Nagel writes in an important article of his uh, about the question of, uh, well, looking to our lives um, in the context of the whole universe. And maybe if we think of them in the context of the whole universe, maybe our lives are not meaningful. So why would they seem to us then to be not meaningful? Maybe because we will cease then to see their value. And the whole discussion then after th afterwards continues with the question, well, can they still be seen as valuable even if we see them not only in the context of here and now, but also in the context of, of the whole cosmos. And um, um, not only philosophers, I think, are guided by this intuition that meaning has to do with sufficient value. Um, a couple 
who came to talk with me told me that they feel that their lives are, are not meaningful anymore after they lost their daughter in a car accident, which is indeed a very, maybe one of the worst, if not the worst things that can happen to people. And um, it was clear, I think, that, that they had something of great value in their life and it was destroyed. And this is why they now feel that their lives are not meaningful anymore. And they agreed with me that they would um, find their lives meaningful again if they found or created other things in their lives which would be of a sufficient value or a lot of value. And uh, that is also true of Tolstoy, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, he too, I think, thinks that uh, he would return to see his life as meaningful if he would return to see that things that earlier he saw as valuable as valuable or new things as valuable. And this is what indeed happens to him towards the end of, of his uh, semi-autobiographical essay. So I think the name of the game is value. Mm -hmm. A meaningful life is a life in which there is sufficient number of aspects of sufficient value. Interesting. And if we don't have sufficient value, we should try uh, to enhance value in our lives in order to make it meaningful. You, um, you talk about worthwhileness, um, sort of make what like a life that is worthwhile. And so is there a sense in which having things that you value, which basically means having things that you care about, right? Um, is that sort of, how does that relate to a life that feels worthwhile? Right, so there are many synonyms and half synonyms of, of meaningful and, and valuable. And of course, um, as is often in philosophy, it depends a lot on how you, you understand those terms. So I think that in one sense of worthwhile, a meaningful life, which is a life of sufficient value is also a sufficiently worthwhile life. In that sense, they are the same, but there are other senses of having a life that we would call worthwhile in which there might be a distinction. For example, um, there was uh, an important uh, Viennese psychologist, Viktor Frankl, who tells of um, his experiences in the concentration camps in World War II. And he says that some of uh, the inmates there managed to, to keep their lives meaningful. Uh, again, it has to do with value. They found still things of value in their lives, maybe their future plans, like him who wanted to write a book, maybe helping other people there. Um, now, in many ways, if we accept that those people did have meaningful lives, even in those terrible circumstances, maybe we'd say, yes, their lives were meaningful, but this is not we would what we would ordinarily call a worthwhile life because they were enslaved and hungry and, and, and starved and, and frightened and missed their families and, and very worried and, and so on. So um, um, it will, of course, depend on, on the ways that we understand many of the, of the terms here. The same would be true, I think, of important in some sense of important, well, what is important in life, what is valuable in life. So in some sense, an important, some sense of important, importance, an important life would be a meaningful life. But in other senses, well, one can have a lot of social importance. And if we would not think that this is valuable, then 
we would not think that this needs to be a meaningful life. Right. I, I find in myself and in my work and in conversations with people, um, importance is all of these ideas are, are very interesting, of course. Uh, and in importance, I think we can sort of social importance, wrap ourselves up in, you know, what's going on in, in our social worlds and climbing the hierarchy or, or whatever, feeling, feeling like you matter. Um, but a lot of people, you know, I had a glass of wine with like a deeply existentially tormented friend of mine last night. <laughs> and um, so many people I know wrestle with um, all of these uh, value, meaning, worthwhileness, um, all of these traits being like um, subjective, right? And so what, how does the question of meaning, like can you live a meaningful life if you don't experience it as say hooked on a God or a cosmic force or some sort of external substratum or something, right? Um, how do you deal with that objective, subjective difference? Right, so I think that if we believe that there can be enough value in life, even if there is no God or no external force like that, then we would think that a life can be meaningful even if uh, we're atheists or even if uh, such, a, such a, a valuable, important beings do not exist. Now, I think that religion gives us a very good way of living a meaningful life because in a religious worldview, there is something which is extremely valuable, and that is God, of course. And um, God makes certain things in life also valuable, such as certain objects, uh, maybe a prayer book and certain times, uh, times that you fast and certain activities like fasting or praying. And, and that's very, very good in that way. But... If one is an atheist, can one still have a meaningful life? And I think that one can, because I think that atheists too can find a lot of things that are of value. Um, for example, um, knowledge and, and aesthetic experiences and witnessing beauty around and love and intimate emotional experiences of warmth and closeness. I think there's a lot of value uh, even if, uh, even under the supposition that there is no God. I happen to be an atheist and uh, I have a lot of respect for it, but, um, but I take my life now to be meaningful. And, um, and I think that there is a lot of value around, uh, even without supposing that there is no God. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. That's something that I've personally always struggled with. It's not that I necessarily needed a God, but I think a lot of people, myself included, struggle with justification, right? Like, I find this valuable. Like, I feel like this is valuable, but I know that I'm also a human animal that evolved to find these certain things valuable. And so, um, and maybe even deterministically, right? Maybe I don't even have free will. And so, like, how can I actually justify or find this to be, like, actually valuable if I'm just this animal that will die, right? And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, there are many um, arguments against the meaning of life in, in the philosophical literature and many arguments uh, for the meaning of life that try to answer them. Um, 
it's indeed, I think, an interesting question whether um, we have sufficient sensitivity to value to think that we can identify value when, when we see it. Yeah. And um, whether uh, determinism uh, holds, I mean, some people are determinists, some are not. Um, and if you're not, then this problem may be less, uh, less serious. But many people, um, I think, accept determinism and still think that life can be meaningful because even under the deterministic uh, supposition, there might be value. There might, maybe there's not that much freedom or no freedom at all, but we can do some things that are valuable or be some things in a valuable way even if there is no freedom. It's interesting to think about cases in which we ascribe value without thinking about autonomy or freedom. So um, let's, uh, let's think about a case in which we know that a certain person evolved, well, well grew up to be uh, very pleasant because um, she or he had a very good education and a nurturing, warm nurturing when they were young and were educated to be, uh, to love wisdom and to appreciate beauty. Okay, so there was not that much freedom there, but we're still, uh, I think, appreciating these people. We, we value them a lot. Um, let's think... Um, about a person who says that um, their their artistic creation. Let's let's assume that uh, a Mozart or or a Shakespeare would have said to us, "Look, it's I can't resist it. It's it's stronger than me." And and then I sit and write. As uh, some people talked about the muse writing through them, but no, it's even a kind of obsession, perhaps. Would we still value the, the tragedies of Shakespeare or the, the symphonies of Mozart in such a case, or, or them? I would still value them, and I would still think that their lives are meaningful. So even under the supposition that, uh, that we don't have autonomy, that everything is deterministic, maybe even then we can uh, see life as meaningful. And, uh, and I'm not sure that determinism is right. I'm not sure that we, we need to accept it. But even if we don't, maybe it's not that. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so those are some things I think that I have bumped into that challenge the idea of meaning. You talk about some other like, common presuppositions or assumptions that people have that sort of lead them to think their lives are meaningless, like maybe with your students. So what are some common things that you know make us stumble into this trap of meaninglessness? Right. Well, I think that some of them are, are philosophical, but some of them uh, are not, uh, not philosophical. For example, some people have this, this uh, supposition that um, if the degree of meaninglessness or the intensity, sorry, the intensity of meaning in their life is not stable, it goes up and down, no, then, then it can't be meaning. It can't be meaningfulness of life. No, their lives must be meaningless. And other people have this uh, uh, odd uh, presupposition that if there is not one thing that informs or, or uh, that, that does not emanate meaning for their lives, for their whole lives, if it changes, 
then, ah, then it can't be the, the source of meaning in life and their lives are not meaningful. And again, I don't think that this too is necessary at all. I think it is possible that the person would find meaning, I know, from the age of 20 to 40 in raising a family and then from 40 to 60, say, in, uh, in writing literature and then from 60 to 80 in, um, I don't know, maybe in an ashram uh, meditating. Things can change. And even at a certain point of time, People can have several sources of meaning at the same time, both family and career and friendship and maybe religion, if they're religious. Um, so there are many, um, well, popular notions uh, about meaning that, uh, that I think are wrong, uh, that people are often not aware even that they have them. It comes out only in a discussion and lead them to think that their lives are not meaningful. Another one is, for example, the position of uniqueness. If what makes my life meaningful is not unique to me, then my life is not meaningful. But there's no reason to think that what makes my life valuable cannot make other people's lives valuable as well. Uh, the way I enjoy art or literature or love probably is not that different from the way other people enjoy literature or art or, or love and value can be valuable for for many people so these are uh, the less philosophical assumptions or presuppositions usually implicit presuppositions that as good philosophers we can try to uh, uncover and then question that lead people some people to think wrongly, in my view, that their lives are not meaningful. And there are also other more philosophical ones. For example, there is this uh, supposition, well, the deterministic supposition. There is also um, this argument from uh, the evilness and suffering all around. Everything is so evil and, and full of suffering. Well, in that case, life, even my life, cannot be meaningful to some people think. Other people talk about death. Um, if uh, we're not uh, eternal like God, then our lives cannot be meaningful. Um, so the, there are many sources for, uh, for uh, this view. Um, and uh, for many people, there are various sources that are at work in, in making them feel very bad about their lives. Mm. Um, so... How then, let's say I hypothetically think life is meaningless because of suffering, right? There's so much suffering in the world and I can't justify it. Um, how would you respond to that sort of statement? Um, well, um, first of all, I have to say that I think that there is a lot of suffering in the world. And I think that uh, a lot of suffering is not justified at all. Um, and it's very bad that there's so much suffering, and I hope that there would be less. Um, but uh, I think that many people who bring up this, uh, this notion uh, are not sensitive enough to the good and happy things that also occur in the world. And I think that there are many of those as well. Now, one of the sources of our knowledge about the world is uh, newspapers. And uh, newspapers 
report in a biased way. I don't mean that they are biased for the left or the right or something like that, although that too is sometimes the case, but all of them, I think, are biased towards reporting about the evil things that happen in the society or in the world and about suffering. So we don't get news about uh, three um, Boy Scouts who helped an old lady to cross the street. And we don't uh, find in the front page uh, a headline about the fact that uh, Mr. Smith did not embezzle anything this year. <laughs> but uh, um, even if there are many, many good cases, we don't read about them all. We read about what are sometimes the exceptions. About the, that case, when the, the three Boy Scouts, I don't know, stole the old lady's purse. And uh, it would be, it would even reach. Um, bigger headlines if, while struggling, she fell into the road and, and was run over by a truck. That would be even more uh, uh, interesting from the reporting, newspaper report, media reporting point of view. Um, so the diet that we get, I think, is, is, is biased. And I think, in general, we're very insensitive to the, to the happy things, to the good things. Now, uh, having said that, um, let's say that there is a lot of suffering. Let's say that there is so much suffering as, as there was in some concentration camps, well, all concentration camps in World War II. I think that still, if I can make my life, and perhaps some other people's life, good in some senses, or if not good, at least meaningful, in some senses, that is already quite a lot. So even if there is a lot of suffering in the world, there is no need for me to destroy the option or the potential of having goodness or value in what is, uh, is not under this uh, curse of suffering. Mm. What I can do is to try to develop and, and, and focus on and strengthen what is good where it is possible to do so, and perhaps try to diminish suffering where I can. And that's not always uh, a lot. Sometimes it is a lot, but I can do those things, and that is very meaningful as well. Mm. Yeah, I actually, I know a lot of people who I think their primary source of meaning in their life is sort of the attempt to fight injustices or remediate suffering and, and all that. Yeah, which is very interesting. Although if we got rid of suffering completely, well, we couldn't really. And then we might not be able to have a meaningful life anyway because we wouldn't be able to contrast that with good experiences, right? So there is some kind of limit to getting rid of suffering, I think. Uh, maybe. Um, the, the danger that we'll get rid of it completely uh, is, is, I think, remote. So it won't happen soon. No. <laughs> But um, even if we will not be able to make our lives meaningful by fighting injustice and suffering, I think that we could still have a meaningful life mm -hmm. in other ways because life could be made valuable also without fighting suffering. It would be made valuable by learning and understanding and having um, um, love relationships or friendship relationships with, with other people. And I'm not sure that we need to experience suffering or even to know of suffering in order to feel joy. Maybe joy is um, 
sufficiently um, strong to to give us um, the sensation of joy even in the hypothetical really hypothetical and unrealistic scenario in which we do not suffer also suffering yeah maybe mm-hmm. yeah okay that's that's helpful and um, interesting so um, okay so let's talk about like building a meaningful life so if one doesn't have a meaningful life, you talk about steps that people can take to sort of um, work on their meaning landscapes or what have you. So, so what are your steps and, uh, and what, what do people have to do? Well, I think that there are two main directions. One of them uh, might be called identifying and the other perhaps recognizing. So um, some people did the... Um, reject all those presuppositions or arguments against the meaning of life, but still do not find their lives meaningful. I think because they do not identify well what would make their own lives meaningful. For example, maybe they're looking for importance in the sense of maybe social importance, and for them, this is not really a valuable thing in their lives, but they do not know it because everyone is talking about social importance. So they accept it and they haven't sat down and thought to themselves about the question, what do I take to be meaningful? Mm -hmm. And if they knew what they really think is meaningful in their lives, then, um, then they could enhance those aspects of their lives and maybe feel that their lives are more meaningful than, um, than they, they, they sense them at present. Um, so there are various ways of trying to find that out, uh, and uh, some of them involve simple questions. Um, and it's interesting that many people, including people who are really tortured by the feeling of meaninglessness, don't sit down and ask them themselves these questions. Um, I think some people dedicate more thought to to deciding. To, what restaurant or film they'll go in one evening than to the question of what will make their lives, which the sense is un- unmeaningful, be meaningful in their whole lives. So one question is just to ask yourself the simple, I mean, the safer, what would make my life more meaningful? Or what would make my life valuable? What do I find value? And another possible question that might help you to identify uh, what would make life more meaningful is, well, what is common to the people whose lives I, I see as meaningful? Um, if I can say something about myself, uh, then at a certain point in my life, I ask myself this question, and when I felt that my life was not meaningful enough, and since I work in philosophy, then of course I respect a lot people like Aristotle and Immanuel Kant and so on, but then it occurred to me that people that I really, really will admire and, and feel that their lives are really meaningful are people, more of the type of Mother Teresa and perhaps Albert Schweitzer. And then I understood that something that I take to be very valuable beside learning and philosophy and so on is, is helping other people. And, and um, I took steps to do that. I took a course that helped, uh, that trained me to well, uh, accompany 
terminal cancer patients to their deaths. And, and uh, since then, I've been, for several years now, I've been volunteering in that, and that indeed made my life more meaningful. So this is another question that one might ask. What, what, um, what is common in the, to, to the lives of people whose lives I take to be meaningful? Um, another question might be, um, um, well, it might be called a deathbed question. Let's pretend or let's assume that, let's imagine myself, um, let me imagine myself uh, on my deathbed and, and let, let's assume that I won't be then uh, uh, under terrible pain or, or drugs and, and I'll imagine myself thinking back and asking myself whether what I've been doing the last uh, month or year or what I'm going to do in the next year, will that be something that then on my deathbed I'll be happy about or I'll think is silly? And that too can open up perspectives or sensitivities that usually we don't have. This is one deathbed question. Another deathbed question is, well, let's say that I had 10 more days or three more months to live. Okay, so we put here scarcity, scarcity of time. What would I do in those 10 days? What would I do in those three months? That also may help me to distinguish better or from another perspective what I take to be valuable and what I take to be less valuable, but I do anyway because that's what I did yesterday. So if I did yesterday, I'm doing it today. And uh, I'm continuing the routine in a, mechan in a mechanic way. And there are also some other questions that, that might help to identify what is valuable for us. Now, um, this is one way of, I think, uh, making our lives more meaningful. Um, and another way uh, doesn't have to do so much with changing things in our lives. Um, if to use an analogy, um, if we want to experience beauty in our home, then we can do two things. One of them is to try to change the pictures or the furnitures uh, or the furniture and, and thus improve things there. But another is to try to uh, make ourselves more sensitive to the beauty that there already is there and we stopped seeing with time. I don't know whether you, probably you too have this experience that there are pictures or, or carpets that are very beautiful, but with time, with routine, we stop seeing. And after we've been desensitized, we can resensitize ourselves to them. And that is the other, I think, important uh, option, not identifying and then changing, but recognizing. Recognizing the, the immense value or meaning that we have we already have. So I once saw in a parade horses that had uh, some pieces of plastic on their eyes. They walked and they didn't see. And I think that we too, in a way, are blinded to a lot of things that are valuable to us. And sometimes, unfortunately, we sense them or we, we see them when they're gone, when, when they're absent and we can't feel them anymore. And I think that the very, very important thing that we can do to, to, in order to see our lives as meaningful or to recognize our lives as meaningful is to resensitize ourselves to that meaning that we already have.
and we have so much. I like that. That's actually, that's an approach that I haven't, I haven't heard before. So identifying is sort of about ways in which we can change our lives, improve them, learn from our environments, from people around us, and recognizing is about um, sort of reevaluating what we already have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that is sort of directed at the pursuit of value and how you relate to your value. Um, yes. Well, um, one, one can think about it also uh, in that way. Um, I walk in the streets and I see trees and they're beautiful and I don't see their beauty. I simply don't see their beauty. Now, why don't I see their beauty? I don't know why, because uh, maybe because I'm a perfectionist and, and I wrongly think another problematic supposition. I think that only perfect beauty is, is beautiful enough. Or because I, I'm driven towards achieving something and I think only about it and, and what I don't have. So I'm, I don't think about what I do have. But... Um, um, if I try to push away all those things that, uh, that conceal the beauty, then maybe I could see the beauty there. I mean, one of the things that happen to us when we go to museums is that we see beauty because we know that here we are in a museum. And what are you supposed to do in a museum? Well, you're supposed to see the beauty. And sometimes when you see, especially with modern art, artifacts that usually you wouldn't think of as a very beautiful. You can still look at them in a more intent way or a sensitive way and, and see their beauty. Okay, so maybe we can do that without entering into the museum. Maybe we can take this attitude, this museum attitude, this sensitivity to beauty attitude outside of the museum and just see the beauty all around. And the table, in some senses, it has many, many qualities. It has weight, it has mass, it has color. It also has some beauty. Maybe not, the, maybe not extreme beauty, but some beauty. Okay, so now try to think not only of its weight, now try to think not of it. Now let me try to see the beauty. Oh yes, there is beauty here also. Mm. Now, the beauty is one type of value. But I can do this also with value in, in general. And uh, I think, well, for me, this was a decisive move in my life. Uh, identifying two was very important. Getting rid of, of uh, all sorts of presupposition was very important. But the readiness to see the, the valuable and, and the good and, and the, the beautiful um, um, was, was a very important event in my life and also in the life of some other people with whom I talked. And uh, I think that uh, it is neglected, uh, criminally neglected almost, in the lives of, of many people. I agree, and I think that actually, I can't believe, I can never believe how fast the time goes. That sounds like maybe a good note to end on. We're running up on time. I'm wondering if you have anything left that you'd like to say, any words of wisdom or um, 
parting words about meaning or your work? Um, I think that uh, this is an evolving topic and uh, that there is much more work to do on it. And uh, I hope uh, that uh, more interest in it would, uh, would follow. This is in the academic sense, but in the non-academic sense, I think that many people who do not sense that their lives as meaningful or as sufficiently meaningful can quite easily, with some work, not terribly hard work, repair this condition and, and see the meaning that they already have in their lives or change sometimes in, in very small ways that their lives uh, that it changed their lives in ways that would make them much more meaningful. And I see so many people who walk around with a feeling of meaninglessness, which seems to me completely unnecessary. So. Great. Um, I am doing everything I can to, <laughs> to make people care, to help people. So, um, and thank you so much, obviously, for coming thank you and sharing. Thank you sharing your ideas. We're, we're doing it, you know, we're trying. So, um, okay. Thank you um, very much for more from Edo. Remind me the, the title of your recent book again. Uh, Finding meaning in an imperfect world. Right. Great. Yeah. I knew that. I just, so many book titles these days are so long. I keep expecting it to like keep going. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, Finding meaning in an imperfect world is uh, brilliant. On, on the philosophy and meaning of life. So do check that out. Um, and I am Stephanie Rupert, and you know where to find me uh, on all the social media platforms. So thank you everybody so much for tuning in. And thank you again, Ido. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Stephanie and sure. everyone. Okay. Thanks.